Hi, this is Welcome to the End Times from Chipperish Media. I'm researcher and angel who drinks hot chocolate and will occasionally, very nearly swear, Dr. Kelly Jones. <laughs> and I'm story expert and spawn of darkness, attempting beguiling creature from the pit, wanton limbs steaming from the flesh pots of Hades and tortured and lubricious thrall to my Stygian and hellish master, Lonnie Diane Rich. <laughs> And we're here today to talk about Good Omens, the Thursday and Friday's chapter, pages 115 to 172 in the paperback edition. All the ley lines are shifting and forming a spiral centered on Lower Tadfield, so I guess it's time to stop Armageddon. A quick summary before we dive into today's reading. In the Thursday chapter, we spend the day with Adam Young and his friends as they ponder and pretend about witches. Then Adam meets Anathema Device, who has moved into a cottage in Lower Tadfield. Anathema tells Adam about the ley lines, the occult, her concerns about the environment, and her missing book of prophecies. She opens his mind to new ideas and sends him home with magazines that light up his imagination. And that night, as Adam sleeps, the nuclear reactor disappears from a nearby power plant. In the Friday chapter, we follow Famine as he's up to malnutrition and marketing evil and receives his brass scales as a sign of the upcoming apocalypse. Aziraphale continues to work Agnes Nutter's Book of Prophecies and Anathema continues to work her maps. Both realize that the spiral of destiny is centered on Lower Tadfield. A thousand miles away, the lost continent of Atlantis reappears. We see Newton Pulsifer, now grown and newly joined up with Shadwell in the Witchfinder army. Aziraphale and Crowley both call Shadwell with the same instructions, and Newton prepares to head out for Lower Tadfield. Alrighty. So in the two <laughs> chapters that I think of as, damn, I wish we had more Crowley and Aziraphale. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we spend the day with the them and the witches. Mm. Um, and I did think it was cute that we've got Adam's gang, you know, with Pepper yeah. and Brian and Winsleydale, who in my head is like a young Wesley from yes. Angel. Right? That's what I had too. Absolutely. <laughs> And they're referred to darkly by everyone in the village as the them. So they started yes. calling themselves that too. But I kind of loved how Adam tried to change their name all the time, like a band, you know, yeah. <laughs> the really well-known <laughs> four. Like, it's so cute. Like Andy on uh, Parks and Rec. <laughs> it's like, we were four skin, then we, <laughs> yeah. we lost somebody and we were now three skin. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, I, and I like that Pepper is the fighter. You know, but yes. Adam, mm -hmm. Adam is their leader. Mm -hmm. um, and then we finally get the answer about the missing third baby. Yes. Who is Greasy Johnson. And like, I really want to know this child's real name. <laughs> uh, Greasy Johnson was a sad and oversized child. Right? <laughs> I feel kind of bad for him because it said, yeah. you know, he had become a bully almost in self-defense. That it was better to be called a bully, which at least implied some sort of control and desire, than to be called a big clumsy oaf. Oh, and I was like, I'm a big clumsy oaf. I don't know how oh, that's you are not. better than being a bully. Oh. <laughs> but, you know. And we see him, you know, like secretly devoted to his collection of tropical fish, which, mm -hmm. okay. 
Uh, but, right. but then we get a little footnote that's like, he was the same age as Adam Young within a few hours and his parents had never told him he was adopted. See, you were right about the babies. And I was oh, like, God. thank you for the reassurance, but I needed that earlier. Right. Exactly. <laughs> much, much earlier. Yeah. And we've got them discussing witches because there's a newcomer to Jasmine Cottage and she gets the witch newspaper. (laughs) And it just just cracks me up. Like the media and the technology, you know, from this book. Yes, this was pre-internet. Yeah. So so all this stuff is so cute. It is. It's so cute. It's not like Anathema is out like on, you know, Twitter, like. Right. Tweeting about the, the end of the world. You know, they're getting these, <laughs> these newspapers. Um, and so while the kids are talking, it says Adam let the conversation float around him like the buzzing of grasshoppers, or more precisely, like a prospector watching the churning gravel for a glint of gold. Mm-hmm. And I really liked seeing how this kid's imagination works. You yeah. Know, how he kind of observes until something sets off an idea and then he just kind of goes with it um and i I like seeing that in action because Mm -hmm. apparently witches want to flood the country with mindless evil by worshiping nature and eating health food (laughs) which is the misconception of 11 year olds and conservatives everywhere and i thought that that yes that was just adorable (laughs) (laughs) and they've got adam up on this milk crate throne Mm-hmm. Which is now how we'll see like that big Iron Throne in Game of Thrones. It's just really exactly. made of milk crates, y'all. It's just, just a bunch of milk just a crates. bunch of milk crates that really look <laughs> uncomfortable to sit on. Um, but it said, you know, deep in their hearts, that them knew they weren't a gang of four; they were a gang of three, which belonged to Adam. Right. And you know, just this unquestioning, yes, we follow him. Mm-hmm. I think is is really really interesting because we don't see him bullying them right Mm -hmm. you know or really even bossing them around or trying to hurt them it's more of like okay i'm here to make your day interesting come follow me right and it is the kind of uh, you know like a good king right serves Mm -hmm. the people and adam as strange as it is you know this son of satan being raised in an environment where you know he doesn't have those influences on him Mm-hmm. turns into something good. I mean, like when Aziraphale, you know, like in the last reading came to Lower Tadfield and felt that love, you know, felt the love for the place. And, and what Adam does to this place is really make it better. Right. So, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And and it's also really interesting that, you know, Adam and the, the them are so frowned on by mm-hmm. all the adults, you know, right. like they're these big, huge troublemakers. And mm-hmm. I'm like, but really, what are they doing besides being kids? I think Adam, I think Adam's warping the reality around him. I think he likes the idea of being a troublemaker, mm. you know, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe that's why people see them that way, because they're not bad kids. They're not doing bad things. I mean, aside from... You know, aside from reenacting the Spanish Inquisition, but they're doing it in a very innocent, sweet way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they don't really hurt anybody. They're just yeah. playing stuff out, yeah. you know. I mean, I stabbed many a cousin with an imaginary sword when I was playing pirate. Like, I don't... Sure. <laughs> didn't have the power to make <laughs> that really happen, but, you know... Yeah, but I don't Adam know. does, though. Adam has a tremendous amount of power. And right. when when he uses it, like, first of all, he doesn't realize he's doing it. Mm-hmm. But where his power takes effect, he's making things better. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that he, he kind of pauses and wonders about things. And then he takes in information from multiple sources. Yeah. I mean, most of which are fellow 11 year old brains. Right. Sure. Super. But he's considering his, his counselors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and he's like, well, I don't see why everyone's so down on witches. (laughs) And Pepper's like, well, witches sink ships and they blight crops and they make people sick and they brew up stuff with herbs. And, Adam says, well, my mother uses herbs and so does yours. <laughs> so, like, he's he's using the knowledge that he has right. to start questioning, like, okay, well, is this really bad or is this mm-hmm. really good? But yeah. even above that, what is more interesting? Mm-hmm. And I, I just really like seeing, you know, that, that kind of imagination so active in him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I loved on uh, page 127, it said, Adam had a way of slouching that offended all right-thinking people. He could <laughs> slouch with inflection. <laughs> <laughs> and so we see him, you know, he's been kind of basically kicked out of his house because he's yeah. not allowed to watch television. So mm-hmm. he's doing the 11-year-old, you know, slouching down the road thing. Right. And the dog is slouching behind him. Yes, of course. And then we get, yeah, kind of one of my favorite insights mm-hmm. from from these chapters It says, form shapes nature. There are certain ways of behavior appropriate to small scruffy dogs, which are in fact welded into the genes. (laughs) You can't just become small dog shaped and hope to stay the same person. A certain intrinsic small dogness begins to permeate your very being. And like, I think that was really interesting, you know, and we're kind of seeing the world from dogs perspective. Mm -hmm. He'd already chased a rat and it had been the most enjoyable experience of his life. (laughs) (laughs) Which was so cute. Well, right. I mean, the idea that Dog, whose entire existence was about serving, you know, the spawn of Satan, you Mm -hmm. know, um, had chased a rat and had enjoyed it. You know, that he actually got to experience joy. Yeah. Yeah. But he remembers his time in hell. Like, Mm -hmm. he is a dog considered that cats were clearly a lot tougher than lost souls. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what does the hellhound do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, was he in charge of lost souls? Was Mm -hmm. he part of the torment of lost souls? Like, it's, it's, sometimes they do a lot with one line. Yeah. In this Mm -hmm. book, you know, and I really appreciated it. But, But I think we see Adam as a child with the power of influence, Mm -hmm. you know, but also creativity and curiosity and imagination and a little wildness, but not evil. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and he he thinks big and he wonders big and he shapes the world around him by playing in it. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. I also think was was really fascinating, you know, Mm -hmm. and I wondered if that was also a case of form shaping nature. Because the Antichrist is in the form of a human child. Mm -hmm. So does the intrinsic wonder and curiosity and creativity that's welded into the genes of all children. Like, is that that part of his being now Mm -hmm. because of the form that he's taken? Right. Yeah. So I don't know. It was kind of cool. But my favorite section was when Adam meets Anathema. Oh, yeah. Um, No, absolutely. (laughs) This is when it got really fun. Yeah, this part was really fun Mm -hmm. um, because he finds himself at Jasmine Cottage, which is part of that curiosity because he heard someone had moved in, you know, and he's curious about it. And he hears her crying. Mm -hmm. And it says that Adam had a soft touch for tears. Right. Which I thought was really interesting because here is this kid who is the literal spawn of Satan 
you know, and yet has empathy and empathy seems to be like, I don't know, like the, the password to all like essential goodness comes from Mm -hmm. empathy. Yeah. 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 And, and so, you know, he peers over the hedge and it says to Ananthema, it looked like the rise of a small disheveled sun. Mm hmm. And Satan, Lucifer, right, was supposed right. to be as beautiful as the bright morning sun. Like, that was kind of what he was the equivalent to before he fell. Right. Well, I mean, um, Lucifer means, like, you know, Lord of Light, right? Right. Which right. is really interesting, considering that lightness is supposed to be the side of good and mm-hmm. the opposite to darkness. Right. And yet and he's it, Lucifer. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was it's really interesting how he and Ananthema saw each other. Because when he sees her, he instantly doubts that she's a witch because she yes. doesn't fit the stereotype right. you know, <laughs> that that he had grown up with. Um, but it said what Ananthema saw was something like a prepubescent Greek god or a biblical illustration, one which showed muscular angels doing some righteous smiting. <laughs> it was a face that didn't belong in the 20th century, mm-hmm. thatched with golden curls that glowed. Michelangelo should have sculpted it. He probably would not have included the battered sneaker sprayed jeans or grubby t-shirt, though. Oh, you know, he might. <laughs> he might. <laughs> but that's really the first yeah. time we see, you know, Adam described. And I don't know if Ananthema is seeing something in him that other people don't. Yeah. Well, or that other people, like, I think are so used to it becomes invisible to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. maybe so. And and she tells him that she's heard of him, you know, and Mrs. Henderson, who is apparently up in everybody's business, <laughs> tells her that Adam was born to hang. And I'm like, who would describe an 11-year-old as to born to hang? Child? Well, I guess right? he's a big troublemaker. But I mean, the thing is that he's clearly not, like, for not a really? quote-unquote gang. These kids are just kids, you know? So I yeah. really do think that it's just, that's the impression he kind of wants to give and because he Mm -hmm. wants to, and he has this reality warping power that that's how he presents to people, even though that's not the reality. And anathema seems to have the ability to see him for what he is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I like that idea that he's warping reality to be seen as notorious when he's really just kind of a, it's kind of a, a kid. kid. Yeah. 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 Um, and Mrs. Henderson had told Ananthema that the young Adam is full of the old Adam. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was a really interesting play on, yeah. you know, words and namings there. But the first thing he asked her is why she's been crying. And I love that she is honest with him. Yeah. You know, she's 19. He's 11. She doesn't talk to him like he's a little kid. Mm-hmm. She tells him about the book and he immediately offers to help her find it. I'm yes. Like, doesn't really strike me as particularly evil, you know. And then he's like, it's oh, I wrote a book. Yeah, it has eight pages, and I illustrated it myself. And if you read it, it'll cheer you up. Oh, <laughs> like, it's so oh. sweet. Yeah. It's really sweet. And, like, I can't imagine having that kind of creative confidence as a child, but I wish all kids had it. hmm You know, that he's very secure in his imagination and the quality of his work. And it was really adorable. Um, but Ananthema noticed, you know, there is something really strange about him. Mm-hmm. The book described it as a sort of laid back intensity. Yeah. He started to feel that if he was around, then everyone else, even the landscape was just background. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, does he have like that thrall? It doesn't seem to affect the adults around him, but it does seem to affect, yeah. you know, the kids. Mm-hmm. 
Because the book says, you know, that no one was ever in full control of his or her mind around Adam. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so is he interfering with free will or is he interfering with perception? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, it does seem to be perception. Yeah. You know, because even though like he and his gang are not truly dangerous, they appear that way to people, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that he likes that. So it feels like he has the ability. I mean, but he does warp reality a little bit as we find out a little bit later in the reading with the way that the weather works in Lower Tadfield and the way that Aziraphale picked up on that love in the last week's reading, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So he is he is warping reality a little bit, too. Yeah. Yeah. And she tells him about the, you know, the prophecy book. And mm-hmm. she's explaining the title and he's asking, you know, does it have this and does it have that? And she's like, no. And Adam says, well, it doesn't sound very nice to me then. <laughs> Don't see what the future's got in it if there's no robots and spaceships. And then right. Anthony's like, it's got about three days. <laughs> oh. <sighs> but then I think my favorite part was that dog doesn't want to go into the cottage. Yeah. But Adam like insists and commands him. And when he finally does, Adam says, they're a good boy. Mm-hmm. And the book says, and a little bit more of hell burned away. Now, was that because he said good boy? Or was it because there's something about anathema that coming into contact with the dog, you know, or like battling territories? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. Um, and I almost missed this. I had to go back and read it because I was like, well, why doesn't dog want to go in there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then right at the end of that scene, it says the horseshoe over the door was corroded and half covered with the paint of centuries. So neither Adam nor Anthema gave it a thought or noticed how it was now cooling from a white heat. Now that is interesting. Yeah. And so then I remembered a little bit of Irish literature and I had to mm-hmm. go look this up. So the legend of St. Dustin, who is the patron saint of blacksmiths. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is from like the ni- the 900s yeah. time. Mm-hmm. The story is that the devil asked Dunstan for new horseshoes for his hooved feet. And uh-huh. so the blacksmith made the first one and nailed it on while it was still red hot. And the devil begged to have him remove it because it freaking hurt. <laughs> and so <laughs> Dunstan agreed, but only on the condition that the devil would stay away from any house with a horseshoe nailed over the door. Oh. And so that's why like supposedly... Having a horseshoe over the door will keep away evil spirits. That's right. kind of where that legend comes from. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering, is the horseshoe firing up at the hellhound or at Adam? Interesting. Right? Because Adam had no problem enter, going. Though. Right. Yeah. They could both go in and Adam had no problem with it, but the hellhound didn't want to go. Right. So I don't know. I really love that whole, that whole scene. Yeah. That is very cool. Yeah. That it answered. Um, a lot of the questions that it asks. Yeah. It doesn't answer any. And I was surprised they didn't include a footnote about the horseshoe. Yeah. I'm like, that's kind of what footnotes are for. Because your footnote's really good. I mean, I I knew that the horseshoe, I always thought the horseshoe was like for good luck. I didn't know it kept the devil yeah. away. So I didn't really understand that, that connotation. But with this, you know, extra textual, you know, information about St. Dunstan, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think that they came to symbolize luck after they were associated right. with keeping evil spirits away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was just fascinating to me. Um, and then we switched back to Aziraphale, um, whose cocoa has gone cold. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's still reading right. the book. <laughs> uh, 
And I love that it says occasionally he would very nearly swear. So like I we know. know this is some intense <laughs> reading for Xerophel. Um, right. But this very short time in this cottage with Ananthema, you know, that little cottage is filled with scientific instruments and the occult. And she's having this political and environmental conversation with him. Mm-hmm. And it, it just has this huge influence in a very short amount of time. Yeah. And... Adam is amazed that there can be these invisible lines of force around and that he can't see them because he naturally assumes that he would be able to. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't know what his power is, but he knows he has it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, which, which I I really think was interesting. Um, And it talks about how, you know, he had not had any influence of the occult on him. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if the authors are saying that that kind of influence would have brought out evil in him, because I don't think that's the case. Like, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have reconciled knowledge of the occult with evil. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's what they were saying. But it said, uh, like, when he was little, the closest thing they ever got to it was suggesting that Father Christmas comes down the chimney. (laughs) And (laughs) the footnotes, if Adam had been in full possession of his power in those days, the young's Christmas would have been spoiled by the discovery of a dead fat man in their central heating (laughs) duct. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. But I really loved this section where they were talking about Ananthema and like her power of believing Mm -hmm. that, you know, she made Joan of Arc seem like a mere idle notion. Yes. And, you know, she, she would have at least 1.5 of an Alp measure of belief. (laughs) And most humans can't raise more than 0.3 of an Alp. Alp. And I'm like, yes, let's quantify this. And like, yes, define it out. Right. And like, and then we can like overlay. Okay, well, then what are the variables of this? And does it increase with the number of books that you read? Because I think Mm -hmm. that it would. And like, this would be fascinating. How do you increase your Jones goes down a rabbit hole. Right. (laughs) I love this so much. Um, But, you know, most people can are on this this low level of Alp. And Mm -hmm. so Ananthema is above that. But Adam believed things on a scale ranging from 2 to 15,640 Everest. So he's like, (laughs) it's a whole level above. Yeah. But it it, it's really about the power of belief. Yeah. Which which I also think was... Which is interesting because we're going to come around back to that a little bit later with Newton Pulsifer. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, and as Adam is agreeing with Ananthema's view that all power plants should be done away with, <laughs> it finally dawns on her what's wrong with him is that he has no aura. Yeah. Um, and I love the, the book kind of followed this up with this um, this quote on page 136. It said, it might or might not have helped Ananthema get a clearer view of things if she'd been allowed to spot the very obvious reason why she couldn't see Adam's aura. It was for the same reason that people in Trafalgar Square can't see England. Yeah. And I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly because <laughs> I don't know where this place is. I don't know. <laughs> but contextually, I'm guessing yes. that this means his his aura is so much bigger mm-hmm. than what you would expect to see around a person that she can't right. see it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she loans him some copies of the new Aquarian Digest, which changed his life. Right. <laughs> so adorable and so we see him go to bed early you know with the magazines and a flashlight and some lemon drops which is such a sweet childish way you know to do that reading Mm -hmm. 
And the last thing he was thinking before he went to bed was that he liked Ananthema. And when he liked people, he wanted to make them happy. Right. Which, again, doesn't strike me as incredibly evil. No. Um, and, you know, it was talking about how big change in the world is actually caused by tiny things and, like, the chaos theory that goes into that. And somewhere in Adam's sleeping mind, a butterfly had emerged. Mm-hmm. And that's when we see the nuclear power plant, like, 500 pounds of uranium uh, reactor magically replaced with the lemon drop and yet the whole plant is still working and i'm like okay (laughs) that's a pretty powerful kid (laughs) yeah yeah but we you know we spend all this time like we have these pages and pages of conversation between these kids and then this nuclear power reactor gets like a couple of paragraphs and it's right it's just kind of funny to me how that Mm -hmm. played out um and then we shift over to Friday and we get famine at work. So we're seeing, you know, famine with all his hideous meals yes. and chows and snacks and oh, fast food restaurants. Um, <laughs> and then that delivery guy, and I think it's the same one who brought War her sword, but I'm not sure, oh, mm-hmm. uh, brings famine the brass scale. So he knows, like he's being mm-hmm. called into right. the apocalypse. But this section of this, I could not figure out to save my life. There was this guy, and he was coded as Elvis. Right. He was singing while he was flipping burgers, and it said he was the happiest man in the world. I I could not figure out know. who he was or what that meant. It went over my head. I have no idea. Well, I mean, the whole Burger Lord thing is like a Burger King reference. Mm-hmm. Right. And this guy is the happiest man in the world, which seems to me like it would be significant. But this stuff with, like, you know, war and famine and pollution and all this stuff, like, I don't know. When this stuff comes in, I'm like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's cute. You know, it's 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 very pratchety, you know, for the, yeah. for the thing. Like, there are things that are pratchety and there are things that are gaming-ish, you know? And uh, and this is Pratchett stuff. And I mean, I like Pratchett. I really like Pratchett. But this stuff, I'm like, okay, just get me back to Anathema. Get me back to <laughs> Aziraphale. Get me back to Crowley. Even yeah. Adam, you know, like, let's, you know, do this thing. And we're spending this time with these four horse people of the apocalypse. And whenever we get there, I'm like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. You know, like, I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 oh, God, he's so evil. Like, yeah. That if, if you had told him they were starving children in Africa, he would have been flattered that you noticed. Yeah. Like, I God. don't really find that to be very funny. I don't know. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't like him. But I guess also the amount of time we spend away from Crowley and Aziraphale. Like, I want to be back with my angel and my demon, man. I like, know. <laughs> this, is the, this book is the love story between Crowley and Aziraphale. And we go through this whole thing. And we only get Crowley through later on in the chapter, Shadwell's perspective. And I'm like, wait a minute. Right? <laughs> we get very little Aziraphale and no Crowley. And I'm like, nope, nope. That's not why I'm here. That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> I know. Like, I want to know what he's up to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I did find the, the kids pretty cute. You know, they're yeah. in their, their little gang and it's a rainy day. So they're mm-hmm. waiting on Adam to make it interesting. Um, and, and I did get a kick out of them talking about star wars without actually mm-hmm. naming star wars um and it said adam was best at it when he was the villain he really sounded as if he could blow up the world <laughs> he, yep, could. he could he could let's not indulge that in this kid <laughs> yeah oh gosh and i would love to get joshua Unruh's take on this 
Yeah. Because there's a little footnote on page 147 that said, Adam didn't read comics at all. They never lived up to the kinds of things he could do in his head. Yeah. I was like, that's a pretty sterling imagination at 11. Mm-hmm. If comics can't even hold your interest. Yeah. You know, especially given some of the things that we see that do hold his interest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, and I'll, I did get really tickled at the kids imagining 39 flavors of ice cream and that even silencing <laughs> Adam. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> oh, God. But we, you know, his final take, like he's reading, you know, these new Aquarians and, and he had thought a lot of the things that he had believed in were just childish or like that mm-hmm. he really didn't think they were real. But now he's reading about these different phenomena in an adult context and mm-hmm. you can see it kind of light up these new parts of his mind sort of at the same time that he's coming, you know, into his power. Mm-hmm. And it said the world was bright and strange and he was in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And again, that doesn't feel malevolent to me. No. You know. Okay. And then we switch back to Aziraphale. Oh, Aziraphale. I, I know, Aziraphale. And I was so happy to see him, but I had to hit pause. Yes. Because it said, people assumed that Aziraphale was English, intelligent, and gay. But mm-hmm. angels are sexless unless they really want to make an effort. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so what are they saying there? That like... Are they making fun of him for being effeminate? Are they just being yeah. snarky about angels not having sex? Are they just really, really trying to deny my ship between Aziraphale and Crowley? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It felt really weird. And then the way that they described him, you know, um, it, it was, I mean, English he has an English accent. We're clearly to see that, you know, mm-hmm. um, but he's not English because heaven is not in England, despite what people may think or whatever he, they had in there. <laughs> um, he is intelligent, but he's not gay because he's sexless, you right. know. Um, and yeah, it, it felt a little bit weird, it, yeah. you know, like a thing to throw in there that was just I don't know. It just felt there's there's a lot of stuff actually in this reading that I found kind of not funny and not okay like i think yeah. it's meant to be funny but it's just it it lands on kind of like a a flat note for me yeah yeah that, that's how it was for me too yeah um but i did like the conversation around intelligence of aziraphale working the book um it's yes. that certain people have spent hundreds of years trying to make sense of the prophecies of agnes nutter they have been very intelligent in the main an anthema device who was about as close to being Agnes as genetic drift would allow was the I best of the bunch. Yeah. But but none of them had been angels. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's not that angels are inherently more intelligent than humans, but that that intelligence is broader and has the advantage of thousands of years of, of practice. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I thought you would get a kick out of the fact that Aziraphale was the first angel ever to own a computer. Yes, no, I did like that. <laughs> I like that he had a computer. So do you think he was working on a Mac or a PC? Oh, totally a Mac. <laughs> he's he's good. So therefore and now I'm gonna be getting now I'm gonna be getting shit from all the Windows people because every time I start this Mac versus PC stuff, the Windows people come out at me. I know, I just couldn't resist. But clearly he's working on a Mac. Clearly he's working on that. <laughs> yep. Yep. And and then we've got Ananthema who, you know, she's lost her book, but she's still yeah. working from her note cards and, and working mm-hmm. on the maps. 
Um, and it said the key lines were shifting. They were forming a spiral. It was centered loosely with some margin for error, but nevertheless centered on lower Tadfield. Yeah. And I appreciated the room for error yes. in the statistical calculations that she yes. had for me. Yes. <laughs> She's a goddamn professional. I mean, she really freaking is. Yes. For 19 her. years old, she's got her shit together. Right? I know. Yeah. It took me a long time to learn about leaving room for error and that, right? all that. Like, she's got it down. I'm impressed. She's got it. Yeah. <laughs> and then again, we get this very short major phenomenon here that, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, Atlantis is back. Like, yes. <laughs> just random. Atlantis has just shown up. Just shown yes. up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that this captain that was out, you know, on this pleasure cruiser had found it. And the message that he wanted to send was amenable old men in long robes and diving helmets have come aboard the ship and are mingling happily with the passengers who think we organized this. Please advise. <laughs> Please advise. <laughs> I actually kind of want that story. You know, I don't like the asides, like when we're not with Xerophel and Crowley, whatever, but like, I don't know, as an addendum at the end, I kind of want the whole adventure with Atlantis. Right. I want to find out about these guys. They're just mingling with the passengers and they're all perfectly happy. Diving helmets. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Diving helmets. Because that's how they survived, according to the 11-year-old who is causing this. Sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, and then Adam is, you know, telling them that the teachers of Atlantis went to Tibet and now rule the world through secret underground tunnels. (laughs) Because that's how teachers roll. Because we can hear everything. Clearly he's predicting Twitter. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you see that kind of shit on Twitter all the time. Yeah. But I really liked Adam saying, you know, why do we have to learn boring stuff when there's all right. this brilliant stuff we could be learning? And I was like, yeah. yes, what I want is an antichrist that I can form into a force for positive pedagogy and revamp the school system. And like, let me use this force for good because we could we could make a difference yes. here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Revamp our educational system. Education is the silver goddamn bullet. Right. I mean, seriously. I was like, yeah. yes, yes, child. Let's talk about curriculum. Come here. Exactly. Like, yes. <laughs> no, that's what you need. You need an all-powerful 11-year-old that you can talk to about pedagogy and just yes. fix this shit. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad it's fiction. Then we move into the Witchfinder army. Right. Mm-hmm. So we get this little bit, um, you know, there was a time when witch finders were respected, although it didn't last very long. And I'm kind of glad um, yep. because as we go into the whole witch finder thing, I found myself getting really annoyed. Witch finders, of course, got paid by the witch. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so in order to make any money, they had to kill a lot of women. Yep. Um, and the inherent misogyny and all of that and all of the like the, you know, the actual like witch finding and witch hunting that went on uh, during those times kind of makes me crazy. And as I'm reading this and I realize they're being funny and they're making jokes about it, but I'm like, there's lots of dead burning women under the subtext of all of this talk, you know, of the, yeah. these male witch finders. And to me, like, it's just it's not funny. And just as I'm getting really irritated with all of this, Newton Pulsifer shows up <laughs> and he's so adorable. So like I'm torn between this whole thing. So first of all, Newton Pulsifer, we we met him briefly, you know, back mm-hmm. when we talked about Anathema when she was 11 and Newton when he was 11. Um, it's another great name, right? Mm-hmm. Love Newton Pulsifer. Fantastic name. Um, but the bit with Shadwell, like all of this stuff with Shadwell is 99% bit. 
You know, it's, it's like this whole, like they're running the bit, they're doing the thing, you know, it's Abbott and Costello on the page, you know? (laughs) Um, and there's this really wonderful description though, where he's, uh, where Newton is on the phone trying to get the job. And he says, eventually there was the sound of feet in uncarpeted hallways, a deep coughing and a voice, the color of an old raincoat, which rumbled, I, right. <laughs> and there's something about the voice, the color of an old raincoat mm-hmm. that I absolutely love. It has this wonderful synesthesia to it, mm-hmm. you know, um, but which is so descriptive and, and good description you know, is, is something to be treasured. So even when I'm like annoyed at the rest of it, and we've got this whole thing on the, the number, how many nipples do you have? Yeah. You know, Newton's like, uh, two. Two. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a pass, yeah. you know, because uh, Shadwell's apparently there's something about witches and nipples. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. Um, so at the same time that the whole, like the very premise of the Witchfinder army fills me with a cold fury just because this was something that was used to mm-hmm. uh you know to discredit and destroy women and like who were strong and opinionated they were suddenly witches and we're going to kill them and all of that still pisses me off yeah. you know like i haven't gotten over that yet <laughs> that still pisses me off um not to mention that we find different ways you know once you can't burn women anymore or drown them or whatever then you find other ways to discredit them and all of that and so that still sells a bit of a soft spot for me. Um, but then we get this lovely, like, little interlude with the Xerophale, right? Yeah. Um, and I love this where he says, sometimes you really had to hope that the ineffable plan had been properly thought out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like as close as we'll get to a Xerophale doubting. <laughs> Yes, but like, you know, maybe we should think these things through, people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like that he's having that moment, you know, where he's like, you you really hope, you hope that the ineffable plan. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's really given this some thought. Um, and then we have, of course, the, we're tracking this um, Aziraphale's descent into obsession with the formerly hot cocoa, now science experiment. So the gradual, like the green fur was growing inside the mug. <laughs> <you know? laughs> So we get this sense of all this time that is passing while Aziraphale is just, you know, hip deep in in Agnes Nutter's, uh, you know, prophecies. Um, and I like this. He says, normally heaven or hell spotted the prophetic types and broadcast enough noises on the same mental channel to prevent any undue accuracy. But they'd missed Agnes. Yeah. Agnes was able to pull all that through without having, you know white noise interfering with it she was able to kind of like see all of these things and i thought that was pretty cool and he said agnes really had been good and clever no one was interested in accurate prophecies (laughs) (laughs) and then he calls for adam's number and of course it starts with 666 of course it does (laughs) of course it does so we have that lovely little interlude with Aziraphale. And then we go right back into the Witchfinder army where we uh, deal with Shadwell's like super racism. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay. It's supposed to be funny. The things that he says, I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to repeat it. They're terrible. You know, where he's talking about Rajit, the guy who gives him all the newspapers yeah. that he needs, yeah. you know, Um really really terrible and i know we're supposed to look at shadwell and this is the thing like you can have racism you can have you can talk about the terrible things that people do in your fiction absolutely that's okay but again and i've said this a million when you do it 
it needs to like you need to have the consequence for that like you you show that this character is is wrong and that it's not okay and the thing with Shadwell is that he is super racist really terrible horribly misogynistic and dismissive of Madame Tracy who is fantastic and makes him liver you know um and all of this stuff and then we have that little bit where like but everybody likes him anyway right he's horrible and offensive and racist um but you know people everybody just loves him anyway right and i'm like i don't like him i don't i don't <laughs> i don't like him and yeah. I, and i don't really understand why people would like him i i did think it's funny that people like him and it pisses him off cuz he doesn't like anybody period yeah that's the only reason why i'm okay with it yeah because he hates being liked. Right. <laughs> but I don't enjoy him. You know, so him. at least it bothers him. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think that there's anything about him that is remotely likable. He is absolutely terrible. And then he's talking about how he went after the witches in the paper. And he says, went down with my armory of righteousness and a packet of fire lighters. That he was going to light people on fire. That this is what he does. When he finds a witch, he lights her on fire. Mm-hmm. Um and none of that was striking me as funny. Um, and then we have this history where he's telling about how he became a witch finder. He had a cellmate um, in prison who was in for arson for burning a coven down. And he says, would have got them all too if it wasn't the wrong day. Good fellow. Right. Right. No. 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 You know. Um, and then he says, that's what we're reduced to, lad. A few hundred years ago, we were powerful. We stood between the world and darkness. We were the thin red line, thin red line of fire, you see. And I'm like, yeah, no, not okay. Not something to be proud of. And as I'm reading all of this, like, I know that they're trying to be funny. Mm -hmm. And I think like, I love Pratchett and I think Pratchett is funny and all this stuff. None of this is striking me as funny. And I'm like, am I just so old and cranky that I've completely lost my sense of humor? Or, you know, but part of it is, though, that, you know, women like women who were smart or who were dangerous because they were smart and they were beginning to figure out that they don't need fucking men. Right. You know, um, that this is what was done to them to keep them in line, that this is a big, huge, you know, strategy of the patriarchy. Call them a witch, right. you know? Um, and the fact that that stopped working doesn't mean that they still didn't do that. It's the same way, like, when when slavery was abolished, uh, racism didn't stop. It just found another way to do what it does, and it was sneakier, and it was more, you know, like, less obvious, you know, but it was still there. So this stuff isn't old, this stuff isn't gone. This stuff isn't past. It is present. Right. You know, it's just found another form. So all of these jokes about this stuff, I don't find funny. I didn't. Know and I, it makes me feel like a, like humorless, but it's, it's just, it's not funny to me. No. And th- there's a lot of things in this book that make me laugh that I probably mm-hmm. think, well, that probably should not make me laugh, but right. Shadwell yeah. is not one of them. I yeah. do not like him. Um, I think, yeah, I probably... In an earlier life, there's a fair to midland chance I was burned as a witch. Yep, I would totally buy that. <laughs> and <laughs> it all I, I didn't I didn't find it funny. I didn't really enjoy the scenes with him. I don't like being in his perspective. Um yeah. and knowing that, you know, people like him anyway, even though he's so blatantly unlikable, isn't enough to like give him a pass. Like if he was just a grouchy you know, old guy right. that didn't like anybody and people were still good to him. Like, I could see that. 
But I, if I he don't... was, if he was good underneath the grouch, which we've seen that you know archetype quite a lot, right? You know, we've been there, like that guy, you know, who's who's cranky and and maybe a little rude, but when it comes down to, it, he's not a bad guy. But this is a guy who went somewhere with fire lighters to burn a woman, right? No, no, <laughs> no I didn't like him. I didn't find it funny either. So if you've lost your sense of humor, so have I. Okay, well, I did, though, turn into this, I had the delight come, you know, come in this for Newton, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Newt always tried to see the best in everyone, but it occurred to him shortly after joining the WA that his superior and only fellow soldier was as well balanced as an upturned pyramid. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you, Newton. I like it. Um, He also has this great description of Shadwell. He appeared to live entirely on sweet tea, condensed milk, hand-rolled cigarettes, and a sort of sullen internal energy. (laughs) Which I also... I did like that. And I think I can also live on those things. (laughs) Yes. No, absolutely. But I loved, too, like, uh, you know, we had that thing earlier with Anathema's powerful belief and Adam's powerful belief. And then we have this lovely bit with uh, with Newton where he sees Shadwell has a cause Mm -hmm. and Newton never had a cause. He never had anything that he believed in. He said he'd have liked to believe in a supreme God, although he'd have preferred a half hour's chat with him before committing himself to clear up on one or two points, (laughs) which I really liked. Mm -hmm. I mean, I like this about Newton and it's such a wonderful contrast to Anathema's belief, Adam's belief, right? That Newton is unable to believe in anything because he reads Mm -hmm. and he thinks, Mm -hmm. you know? And he says, then he tried believing in the universe, which seems sound enough until he'd innocently started reading new books with words like chaos and time and quantum in the titles. (laughs) And I just kind of, I loved that, you know, about him that he wanted to believe in something, you know, and he's doing this Witchfinder's army thing because he was incredibly bored at his other job. <laughs> and he has this curious mind, but the nature of that mind precludes him actually believing in anything because he can always spot the holes, right? you know, in the arguments. Um, and I kind of love that about Newton, especially in contrast to Anathema and Adam. Yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And I like that he asks a lot of questions. Um, he doesn't strike me as incredibly curious or engaged with the world around him but it's more of like seeking answers and being really frustrated and let down that he can never find any because he can't do away with the fact that he can see through arguments yeah you know yeah yeah i like that about that's very very cool yeah i also love this description of newton pulsifer it's like this is how newton pulsifer looked as a man if he went into a phone booth and changed, he might manage to come out looking like Clark. <laughs> <laughs> so I found the Newton stuff just delightful mm-hmm. and mixed in with this Shadwell stuff that I absolutely hated was such a weird contrast for me when I was reading those chapters. Yeah, it was for me too. But I, then I also have to question myself that I'm like, I find this character really engaging and I like him. But he signed up to join a witch finder army. He did. He did. And that's not good. And he's been there for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like he's, been, he's been doing this for a while. Now, yeah, I don't know. It just, it feels, it feels a little bit off. Mm-hmm. But he also like, it, he's weirdly passive. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. with all of this stuff. He's weirdly passive. But I love that he notices all of the end times phenomena, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Shadwell's only interested in witches. He's like, whatever, this stuff doesn't matter. But Newton is pulling it all together. And he also notices the normal weather in Lower Tadfield. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that's a really nice moment of character. And he also notices the normal weather in Lower Tadfield, which is something that was was like a nice moment for him which isn't as obvious as Atlantis suddenly showing up or a nuclear reactor going missing. But he's like, well, it always snows on Christmas Day there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always really hot in August. And it's always like all of the weather is like how it would be classically imagined, mm-hmm. you know, on all of these days. He said it never rains on November the 5th, which is Guy Fawkes night where they all light the bonfires, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's all of those things, which I thought was really interesting. And we also get this really nice moment of character where Newton is observing Shadwell, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there's this thing. He says, Shadwell's eyes looked unfocused. He paused with the condensed milk tin halfway to his lips. I never used to dream when I was a kid, he said quietly. Newt was aware of skidding around the lip of some deep, unpleasant pit. He mentally backed away. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And it was the only moment of vulnerability for Shadwell that made me, you know, like Shadwell a tiny tiny little bit and vulnerability is incredibly powerful you put that into your characters and man it does a lot right um but there's this moment of like something happened to shadwell when he was a kid that made him who shadwell is today right you know (laughs) but i like that newt was aware of skidding around the lip of some deep unpleasant pit and backed away (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're not gonna go there right And then, of course, we end this reading with the the WA is supported by both Aziraphale and Crowley. Mm -hmm. And once again, we have both heaven and hell taking credit for one thing, which is both not really good. But definitely evil. Yep. But kind of has the appearance of good, you know. Yeah. Um, so I kind of love that they both have the Witchfinder army on their list of contacts, um, and each call Shadwell with the same list of instructions. Yeah. And he's. I thought that was and really I, cool. and I like that Shadwell is like I don't know what these guys are up to, but whatever, just right. go to Lower Tadfield. You know, if you're paying your own petrol, like as long as I don't have to yes. reimburse you for expenses. Uh, 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 uh. And they get like 60 pounds a year. Yeah. You know, from both good and evil. Right. So, <laughs> so they're not making a lot of money in the Witchfinder Army. No. At least they're not well funded. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. At least there is that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Kelly, for these chapters, what is your favorite part? Um, I really enjoyed the Ananthema and Adam mm-hmm. sections uh, in, in the Thursday chapter. And I, I like how she was honest with him and didn't talk down to him. And I love the whole belief scale. Yeah. That just delighted me mm-hmm. to no end. But I miss Crowley. I know. I miss Crowley so too. much. <laughs> what was your favorite part? Oh, God. Aziraphale with the book. Mm-hmm. Just falling mm-hmm. into this book, losing time. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that I, I love that. You know, a love story between a man and his books. Right? That'll get yeah. me every time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right to join in the discussion on twitter follow me at lonnie dine rich and kelly at dr kelly jones and use the hashtag chipper end times welcome to the end times and everything chippers media produces is made free and ad free by the generous patrons who support us to the tune of a dollar a month or more and make it possible for us to live entirely on sweet tea condensed milk hand rolled cigarettes and a sort of sullen internal energy 
Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Welcome to the End Times by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review or telling your friends about the show and chipperish media or by visiting Madame Tracy, Painted Jezebel, mornings only and Thursdays by appointment. <laughs> We will be back next time with the first part of the Saturday chapter, paperback pages 173 to 237. Until then, we don't see why evil witches should have all the fun.